Uh, welcome to Mental Platypus. I'm Jared. I'm Jason. You can uh, rate and review the show, please. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all that kind of business. Tell your friends about us. It would be really helpful because we're not great at social media. But if you want to uh, follow our social media accounts, I in particular am not great about social media. Well, let you me, have to be on let social me say media that. to be good at. This, this is true. Um, it, it needs to take place more than, than once a week, me hopping on on Twitter to do a post about the show, I think. But uh, anyway, it, our accounts are at mental underscore platypus um, on both Twitter and Instagram. You've got, uh, you've got, um, you can email us at mental platypus quarterly. I think that's right. Best, <laughs> best way to get a hold of us is to, is to hit the contact, um, the contact tab on mentalplatypus.com, which is also where you can go to hear, uh, or rather to see all of our recommendations. If I sound distracted, it's because I'm playing with the, the headphone levels because I, I can't really hear us. I think that's good. But by us, I mean my friend Jason here, whom you can find at Jason E. Kyle on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, if you want to uh, look at the Jared Duran archives, you can go to Twitter at LTD underscore engagement on, or uh, remove the underscore for the Instagrams if you want to see pictures of his cat or whatever record. And why wouldn't you? She's adorable. And uh, whatever record he listened to uh, a few months ago. I think we're going to dive right into it today. Yeah, I, I do kind of want to um, bring up something briefly, though. Um, what is that? I'm currently in the middle of two works by Zack Snyder. I have not finished. Why? Well, I have not finished Army of the Dead, um, which I'm kind of enjoying. Uh, you know, I, I saw his, his what was his, uh, was Dawn of the Dead his, his remake? Mm-hmm. Um, I, did, I did watch that. That was fine. Yeah. Um, it was a fine zombie film. Army of the Dead's okay. It's just. Man, it. If not anything, just to see Tignataro kick ass. I do like Tignataro, um, but I'm doing chapter by chapter of Justice League, um, as well. But it's taken me like a month to like go through like both of these things, or it feels like a month. It's only been like Army of the Dead. It's been at least a three week journey, um, and. <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, you're also hindered by, by having children. Yeah, children work. Children, uh, yeah. the world's greatest hindrance. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and work and, you know, just working and stuff. And, sure. Um, and uh, just this, like, it's just a slog, man. Like, Do you, but so I, I think we, I, I talked about it briefly, I know, in that it, it, it's, it's fine. It's but, it's fine. It's too long. Well, it's it's too much. You know, masturbatory filmmaking essentially. Well, if he didn't find any action sequence that he wanted to put in slow motion, the thing would probably be a half an hour tops. <laughs> and just this bullshit about mother boxes. Who cares? Like, get to dark side, man. Motherfucking we- mother boxes. <laughs> Just get the dark side. That's all we wanted to see that damn thing for anyway. <laughs> sure. I, 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 will, I will probably never watch it again. Um, I can't believe people like were clamoring for this shit. I, I don't. I, well, 
Right. There's the main reason why I don't get why people were were clamoring for it is that he's not a great filmmaker. He he has done a couple of things that are okay and like I've said before, I think that you've agreed I like his Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um although I haven't seen it since it came out and you know otherwise he's he's just proven himself to be a kind of mediocre filmmaker that that is totally ham-fisted it's it's always with the slow motion always with the the gravitas and the and the um you know needle drop and uh yeah. and all that kind of thing you know any the film that choices has, he uses in justice league are just right insane yeah like and doesn't there have to be a moratorium on the use of Hallelujah? Uh, according to Ellen Light, uh, who wrote the book on the use of Hallelujah in pop culture, yes, it's time. <laughs> and I, I think... Uh, um, it's it's a great song. I, it's one of the best songs of all time. There's no arguing that, but it, the use of it needs to stop. People need to find their new Hallelujah because it's it's overdone at this point. If if... <laughs> If American Idol didn't put a moratorium on the use of Hallelujah, uh, Shrek and Zack Snyder sure shit did. Yes. So, yeah. Which I think Shrek is the reason why that song is so popular now. You think so? Uh, it, yeah. Um, like, because... And is that the Rufus version? They or is use, that the John Cale version? They used the John Cale version in the movie, mm-hmm. but they put Rufus on the soundtrack. Oh, that's because interesting. Because he was a... Well, because he was a DreamWorks artist at the time, so it was corporate synergy. I see. But it's also a bit of a slap in the face to Kale. I think Kale doesn't care. Probably but, not. But so. I, I really like the Kale version. But I I still think for me that uh, that the original is the best. I still think that the Leonard mm-hmm. Cohen version is the, is the best. Well, yeah. I mean... I, I know there are people who will say it's the Buckley version, but I'm not one of them. No. Uh, well, it's funny. It's because... Rufus even just recorded it because in tribute to his friend Buckley mm-hmm. and um, because him and Cohen were friends because, you know, Canadians. They got Gotta it. stick together. Yep. But uh, we're not here to talk about Hallelujah, my friend. We are, we are here to talk about a song that I think is even more important than Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> continue. <laughs> We are here to talk. Well, we're we're in the first chapter proper of Nick Hornby's songbook, mm-hmm. and uh, our discussion on this edition is about Thunder Road, the little known uh, the little known song by this schmo named Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, uh, is he from is he from Jersey? He might be. Yeah, Asbury Park. Um, I don't know some some schmo. Yeah. Heard he, he heard he wrote a few songs, <laughs> sold a couple of records. Mm-hmm. You know, no, it never lasted. Never. Uh, <laughs> no, of course it's Bruce fucking Springsteen. Yeah, uh, I think that's his official middle name now. <laughs> Bruce, it's Bruce fucking Springsteen because yeah. he hates the boss. So. <laughs> um, and and Th- Thunder Road. I. Well, let, let's talk about Hornby's essay, and then and then we'll talk about the song. Because I, I I could talk I could talk about Thunder Road for a long time. It's well, actually a really important song. to I me. I think the two are going to intermingle here because he talks about 
um, at one point he does talk about the acoustic um, uh, the from bootleg. the born to from the born to run yeah. sessions, which yeah. I found, which I found last night when I was putting this together. And Did you? Yeah, it's. Um, I, I assume it's it. I mean, it didn't expressly say it was from the um, Warren Roses bootleg, but, but I it it's. Okay, well, well, let's let's get to that because because yeah. I do want to have a, a discussion about the recorded version versus other versions, mm-hmm. uh, and so, I mean, to begin with, you know, Hornby talks about how this is this is essentially his favorite song. It's 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 he he states it's his most played song. Um, how he wishes that he he could say it was it was uh, in his words something black and or cool, um, possibly let's get it on, which he thinks is the best pop record ever made. And he's not. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, it's 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 a great fucking song. Um, and uh, you know, but he and then he cops to the fact that that number two is probably. Um, white man in the Hammersmith Palais, which you know, he's British. It's and he grew up at a at a time when the Clash was. How could you avoid that? But he also well, says, and, 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 and I also want to point out that it also proves my point. Uh, last week, when he mentioned he was playing on that concert, or two weeks ago when we record did this, that when he pointed out he was doing the Hammersmith Play yeah, uh, concert that. Dude's just like leaving Easter eggs, like about how fucking cool he is. Yeah. Well, but again, he is Nick Hornby. You yeah. know, he might not be Nick fucking Hornby, but he, but he's he's Nick Hornby. He's Nick Hornby. He's Nick effing Hornby. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't get the full swear treatment, but yeah. he gets the uh, he gets the PG version. <laughs> uh, and. But so he's, he approximates that, and obviously this has changed because this was this was written in the um, what in the early aughts. We we decided it was like two thousand, yeah, one two thousand two thousand three. So he figured over the the span of a quarter century that he had uh, that he had probably heard it on average once a week over those twenty five years, which would be about fifteen hundred plays. And uh, that if you count like times that he would listen to it on repeat, mm-hmm. that that's probably about right. Yeah, um, I would like to point out uh, as we move on from the intro how much it sucks. I hate this intro. I hate like I hate the other intro. I'm hot take. I'm not a huge fan of this essay. Yeah, just period. I'm not. Yeah, me neither. Um, uh, it it kind of grows on me though. But I mean, there are parts of it that I like. This, but... I, for instance, I, I, for instance, have a, I, I have a hard disagree with his list of arguably better songs. Well, that's just a matter of taste. But I, I wrote here in the margins is like, like you're a white middle aged dude at this point, mm-hmm. and I don't care if you're British, but of course you like Bruce fucking Springsteen. It's like something you're born like inherently dudes like white dudes in their middle ages are into like it's well unless you're my dad it's a blood type thing it's it's like you're either you're either born with the springsteen gene or you're not born with the springsteen gene so unless you're my dad you're (laughs) then you're born with the mallow gene (laughs) 
It's you know, it's it's a rare variation. It's it's like uh, you know whether or not you're the, you're the, the Delta universal variant. donor. Yeah. <laughs> well, you went you went a little more negative than I did. Um, <laughs> you went with more highly contagious and deadlier. <laughs> but it's like a cockroach; it survives. <laughs> wow. Um, but Springsteen is very divisive. I will agree with that. You you either you 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 don't meet very many casual Springsteen fans. It's very rare that somebody says, "Eh, Springsteen, take it or leave it." Mm-hmm. It's it's more that they either definitely don't like Springsteen or you love Springsteen. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot in between. And most people, well, I should, the one person I know who doesn't like Springsteen, uh, what is just because of the voice. Well, and and. Can I, uh, I? I'll admit here on Mike, I have never been uh, in a relationship with somebody who loved Springsteen. Yeah, certainly not as much as I did. And and there there was uh, I, my ex wife actually had a vehement dislike of him. Yeah, uh, my current well, <laughs> my your current wife. You always start <laughs> to say that. As, uh, Sorry, I you know I try to stop get, him, Kristen. But I'm going to get so much on Monday. <laughs> uh, um, you know, if if I, I try to be a good friend and and stop you from saying things like that or try to correct you, but I stop myself, Jared. I'm learning. But a better friend would not point it out and harp on it, uh, and also would edit it out. <laughs> but you're not. You're not. I know so, you. I'm saying, I'm saying. Uh, You'll let out the sneeze I did like two minutes ago. Exactly. Yeah. Which, <laughs> thanks for for that callback uh, to something that's not going to be on there. Yeah, I'll edit out a sneeze, but no, something that uh, that that jeopardizes your marriage. No, I won't edit that out. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, um, but yeah, the songs. I I just don't like it. It's just like it's too. He's trying too hard to be clever. He's trying too hard to be like list all these other songs. Like, wait, wait, wait. Hey, Jude's better than like. It's too much of a Maggie May. God's Mag. God save the Queen. It's a damn good dude. Like I think. But look at it from an impact standpoint and a longevity standpoint. They're they're going to their Thunder Road transcends. In my opinion. Maggie May is just as good as Thunder Road, dude. I disagree. So, God Save the Queen also, had more of a cultural impact in England than, did, than Thunder Road ever did. I, I also, I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm I not would, a fan and, of Rod Stewart. And I would argue that Stirred Up, like just reggae in general, probably had a bigger impact than Thunder Road did. I, I don't, not, not to some people. But he picked, like, he didn't pick a terribly good Al Green song. No. Uh, and. Well, and I also, I want to uh, put a little, like, asterisk next to my dislike of, of Rod Stewart. Because I, I really like uh, the uh, the faces. Yeah. So. I like everything before disco. I just, yeah. he like just his, There's something about him that I, I never really. I like his disco Anything he did after "Do You Think I'm Sexy," I I could take or leave. And and it, well, and I only ever think of the "If You Haunt My Body" <laughs> and "You Think I'm Sexy." <laughs> the Mike Myers, uh, yes. So I married an axe murderer. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the only that's the only time I that's the only way I can ever hear that song. Which side note, did you know that Mike Myers is working on a Netflix series called The Pentaveret, which is based on his monologue about um uh, from So I Married Axe Murder about the Colonel and Really? Yeah. It actually <laughs> and he'll play like his typical seven characters. I but just, he's got like he's got like an A list cast with it. I well, I mean, maybe it'll be good. I just he hasn't in I I don't think he's done anything good since the I wanna say like the first Austin Powers movie. The the second one I have a little bit of a spot soft spot for because isn't that that's the one that's got the the Baccarat Costello, Costello cameo? Yeah. So I have a little bit of a soft spot for that. And I you know I, Heather like Graham. Heather Graham. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, overall, I don't think that he's 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 just done repeats and retreads of things that he's already done, and he's done uh, to to diminishing degrees. I mean, uh, the, the love, love guru. guru? Isn't good. Yeah, I think he even admits that. But I, uh, he was funny in Tarantino's. Inglorious Bastards, like, but he okay. wasn't there for comedy. Well, but that's that's something different, though. I'm yeah. talking about like a Mike Myers joint. Well, he hasn't done a Mike Myers joint. Was Love Guru the last one? I think Love Guru was the last one, but he shows well, up. Also, he's in there. he's got to do something else before he goes because you can't end on the Love Guru. Well, he did. Um, he hosted the Gong Show, but the Gong Show revival. But he did as like a fake. Uh, game show host and it was actually legit kind of funny i didn't see that i hulu dude just watch one episode it's i mean don't get me wrong it's the gong show sure but he's actually funny as the he just hams it up as like this fake game show host gotcha and he just shows up here and there like whenever he's in there i'm always like surprised he's in sparks documentary okay so um which you know thanks for continually spoiling the cameos for me i'm seeing it tonight it's <laughs> it's in the goddamn preview dude yeah but i don't see the preview this is one i told reasons. you specifically to see the damn preview <laughs> it's not her it's a documentary come on i'm anyway veering back <laughs> veering back uh we're well, and I, I hate this second paragraph, too. Mm. I, I, I don't like, just in general, so I, I, I don't love the comparisons to songs that he says are arguably better. Mm-hmm. I also don't like, um, you know, the, the listing of flaws with it being overwrought lyrically and, and musically. Um, and then also, I mean, here's the thing, though. If I pull back, if I pull back and, like, Get off my! It's one of the greatest songs of all time, soapbox. Then I can I can hear it, you know. Well, it's the only paragraph. Well, you'll have Prefab Sprout and Jim and Steinman meatloaf. and Meatloaf yeah. in the same paragraph. <laughs> which I will say that his um, uh, his the four and a half, four and three quarter minutes provide Jim Steinman and Meatloaf with a whole career. He is not wrong. No, he's not. But. He's Paradise working. by the Dashboard Light. Mm-hmm. There's without Springsteen. There's no right that. But I, I would argue that his the first two paragraphs are him just trying to be clever. 
and well, trying too hard to be clever. T- see, the thing is, to me, it reads as being apologetic about loving that song, mm-hmm. which that I, I don't care for. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you feel like you have to qualify how much something means to you or how much you enjoy it? Mm-hmm. I, I, don't see, I don't see the point oh. for that. It's like, I, I don't know. It's, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like me describing how much I love Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you have to be like, oh yeah, I know it's sometimes it's a little much. It's, you know, there's, 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 you know, he had some questionable choices in there and, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like whenever, um, I remember I wrote, um, well, I'll, I'll give you a point, uh, something like about five, six years ago, I wrote like this top seven Duran Duran songs piece because they were coming to town. Mm. And I wrote from the point of view of someone trying to defend the band. Okay. A band that I don't think ever needs defending. And I certainly, there are certainly people more qualified to defend them than me. Well, I mean... But I'm trying to make them seem cool to... um, People who think they were just like this five... I didn't see them as an art band, but saw them as a um, like a pop band okay. that capitalized off of their pretty faces and cool MTV videos. There's a lot more to them, especially those first two albums. I, I think mm. that... But, you know, I, I do fall into the camp of, I think, once you get past the second album until you get to mm-hmm. um, the wedding album that it's there's a fall off. there's definitely and it just keeps mm-hmm. falling off until you get there in my right. opinion and then um and then like they they fa- they've fallen off many times yeah well yeah. once they had that high they fell right back off again yeah well and they occasionally get back and dust themselves off but that's neither here nor there we're not talking about duran duran but i want to make this comparison is that um that point of view I remember that video, that article went viral to like a little bit, like to the point where I was starting to get hate mail, um, a little bit of hate mail. And definitely um, like the sh- Phil Collins review level. <sighs> no, I still haven't reached that fucking level yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it was getting close especially on social media because Duran Duran's people reposted it. Okay. And they started to read it and they realized I was putting in these like little subtle, like, because I was putting myself in the point of view of someone trying to defend them, I would include the solid digs that I've heard mm-hmm. at Duran Duran, like how, and they're like, oh, this guy doesn't like Duran Duran. And I'm like, I'm like no, I do. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I, it's just, it was funny to me, but also like, I think I see the point of view that Hornby is coming from is like, um, you're, writing to a people you may be writing to a bunch of people that will tell you that um god save the queen isn't uh, is more culturally significant than thunder road mm-hmm. and those people may be wrong um almost assuredly uh, again in my opinion uh, but and but i mean he's he's writing to me not to you okay uh, <laughs> um and he didn't he hasn't convinced me uh that of the cultural significance of it. But I started to see his point of view um, to okay. a degree uh, as he writes this. Once I got past those horrible per- first two paragraphs, because 
he's trying too hard to be clever. <laughs> yes. And um, the comparisons he makes are horrible. Like, right. Yeah. For any, for a large number of reasons. Well, uh, and I, I think, I don't know. And, and I say this as somebody who, who is, is on record as Nick Hornby being one of my favorite writers mm-hmm. there. He definitely can, uh, he overreach, try mm-hmm. too hard, doesn't hit the mark. Um, you know, so there's, there's, uh, it's, a uh, he, I don't know. It's it, it. He can't seem to find a you know a consistency, middle of the road consistency. He's either brilliant and it's a lot of you know. For instance, I think some of his his essays for the Believer, uh, his his stuff I'm reading column mm-hmm. is is some of the funniest shit ever. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got probably three, four novels, maybe five novels that are. Fantastic, right? And then there's a lot of stuff that's just, you know, it 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 varies from terrible to just okay, Mm -hmm. mediocre. Well, I think as we start to analyze these more, we have to kind of take it from where when he was writing these. It was just after the movies about a boy and High Fidelity had come out, right? So he's kind of probably writing the success of um, the male learns to, you know, open himself, selfish male learns to open himself to other people. Right. Um, I, uh, the expert who, the self expert, you know, the, the robs of the world are right. learning that the self-proclaimed experts. Yeah. Self-proclaimed experts are learning that, um, maybe they don't know everything, and maybe they want to have love and mm-hmm. share things with other people, especially in the lady department. <laughs> um, not the nerds who will go to a record store every week and try to purchase the Captain, Be- Captain Beefheart record. <laughs> I've been that nerd many times. Yeah. Are you selling it this week? <laughs> Yo, Trout Mouth Rice. <laughs> like, That's. I, you know what? I, I, I take that back. I've never really been that guy. I, mm. I, I am the one who will go to the record store every week, but I, I, I prefer to just browse on my own. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't usually like to ask questions. He does sort of address this in his postscript. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, he references, he references, uh, you know, the, the, the point of, even people who who did love Springsteen, uh, or or those that that vehemently despise him, uh, point to to like the worst qualities of somebody you know shooting to superstardom and the mm-hmm. the image and the you know which a lot of it's just so much the byproduct of the eighties too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to take into account that as you know, I mean, how can, how can you, even on the Springsteen level, how can you um, prepare for that just, like, meteoric rise? Mm-hmm. Well, for three, like, what, three, four albums, he's talking about the meteoric rise. Right. Like, and he points it out, like, like, Rosalita is like, 
a record store company just gave us a big advance. Yeah. Um, and um, like that's what he's been writing about. Those those first three records for yeah. sure, you know, greetings from Asbury and mm-hmm. uh, and Wild and Innocent and and Born to Run has have a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, and darkness to a degree too. To a degree, it's I, also about disappointment, disillusionment. Yeah, for sure. Because Born to Run was supposed to be the meteoric rise. Well, I mean, in a lot of that, a lot of it's a, a direct, like you know, the fallout of things with Mike Capel. And uh, that that whole drama with yeah. with the management and and all that kind of thing too. But um, but I have so I sort of have this point, and it kind of is what he talks about on the third paragraph. And I, I I'm I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> oh, well, then <laughs> um, please proceed. No, um, so I guess he, I think what maybe people. I mean, I, it took me a while to get into Springsteen. Really? Like, yeah. Like, mainly because, and a lot of the authors he mentions, too, and some, even some of the artists he mentions, like Updike, like he mentions Updike, Kerouac, and DeLillo. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he mentions, why why would I have fallen, why did I have high fallen high for Ann Tyler mm-hmm. when I had Updike, Kerouac, and DeLillo? And, I know, for me personally... You're listening to these songs about, like, especially Thunder Row in particular, about how I'm the underdog and I'm gonna, you know, these two lanes are gonna take us anywhere. And yeah, I'm pulling out of here to win. Yeah, I'm pulling out, trying to pull out win, all that other stuff. Like, but we, you and I, and pretty much anyone born after 1980 knows how this story ends for Bruce Springsteen. Right. He he won. He did. The yes. two lanes took him to success. They did take him anywhere. They yeah. did take him anywhere. Yeah. Um, so like you're not gonna relate to that because you know how the story ends. That's I mean, that's interesting though, because mm-hmm. I you know, when I became a Bruce Springsteen fan, uh his most recent albums were Lucky Town and Human Touch. Right. Same thing. I grew up and I grew up seeing um Dancing in the dark mm. every twenty minutes. Right, the the Courtney Cox video. Right, directed by Brian De Palma. Right, like, and I didn't know it at the time, but I mean, like, he we we all like, Born in the USA was inescapable on the radio. Dancing in the dark was inescapable inescapable on MTV. Like, I know how it ends for Bruce. Right, you know, I I, I knew how he he got it. He wins. Yes. Yeah, he wins. Um, and. Probably the reason why I like, um, you know, um, why am I blanking on shit today? <laughs> um, and one of the reasons why I kind of like his other album, like Nebraska and um, Darkness, Darkness, and Ghost of Tom Joad, Ghost of Tom Joad, and what's the one after Born in the USA about the divorce? Oh, Tunnel of Love. Tunnel of Love. Yeah, is because it's like. Oh, success wasn't what it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, especially Tunnel of Love. That's oh, you want to yeah. talk about. I mean, there's as as far removed from darkness as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say darkness, darkness on the edge of town, of course. Uh, as far removed from that as it is, I think it's actually darker. Yeah. 
Because I, it's not just at that point, it's not just you know career disillusionment. It's total personal disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's relational disillusionment. It's it's self disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can relate to disillusion Springsteen much oh, more than I can more. relate to Underdog Springsteen because I know how it ends for how it ends yeah, for him. He's not the underdog. He is the dog. Yeah, uh, but like at the time, I'm sure like in 1975 at the time. No one knew how it was going to end up for him. To, so to, I, yeah, no. To, but but to 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 quote uh, the to quote the bard, he's the dog now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how dare how dare you piss on Sean Connery's grave, sir? <laughs> and that movie isn't as bad as that meme says it is. Finding Forrester, for those who don't get the reference, but. The, to get back to like my point too is like these authors he mentions Updike, mm-hmm. Kerouac, and Delillo. Yeah, like I know they're like I know they're great. Yeah, because not because I've read them, because every one, everything I've read about them tells me how great they are. Sure, um, and I only so I don't to me I don't need to as much as I don't need to read or listen to Springsteen because I know he's great. Mm-hmm. Or it, it took me a while to connect with Springsteen. Like, I didn't need, I, I've never read an update book. I probably never will read an update book in my life. I just, mm-hmm. I, I have this knowledge knowing that it's great. I read Kerouac because of a girl. Um, I mean, I love Kerouac now. So mm-hmm. thank you, Sarah. <laughs> um, and I finally just broke down on DeLillo because, um, and he, he's amazing. Uh, yeah, Delillo's great. White noise yeah. is fantastic. Um, I even like the. Uh, I haven't read a ton of Delillo, but I, I read White Noise, and uh, White also noise is great. it is. And uh, the Body Artist is actually really good too. But like, it's it's the books that it's for me. It's this. It's this ability to find something new, this thing to discover something on my own. Like that's why he likes Ann Tyler is because he discovered it on his own. And well, spoke that's, to him. that's interesting because I I discovered Kerouac on my own. Mm-hmm. It was just you know at thirteen I was suddenly a, a Marxist and into the uh, the Beatniks mm-hmm. for no reason. But uh, well, maybe it was Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. But I, so that's what's interesting to me is that uh, and this, well, but the thing is, this essay plays differently to me now, or will probably play different to me now because I also know how it ends for Hornby. Yes, Hornby, Hornby turns out okay. I, I think this was the point at he, which it was new for him, and he was definitely struggling with mm-hmm. this, as, as he admits again in this postscript, um, as you know, as as having to deal with the the. You, you you start out being a critical darling and having you know a, a niche fanhood and then suddenly you end up in, enormously popular and people turn on you. Yeah, so that's like that's how he relates to Bruce. And, yeah, um, it's but I well that's how he relates to Bruce by the end of the of mm-hmm. the essay. Right at at the point that he's initially relating to Bruce, it's the it's it, he is relating to him from the underdog standpoint mm-hmm. of, of the, you know, wanting to, as he talks about, you know, we're scared that maybe we ain't that young anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, it's the guy in his twenties. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and this, see, this is the, the thing that I think I've, and, and I wish that Hornby had talked about this a little bit more because 
I, I feel like when I got into Springsteen, I got into I got into him through Nebraska mm-hmm. and through Tunnel of Love and to a, a slightly lesser degree, Darkness on the Edge of Town. It took me a really long time to appreciate Born to Run, yeah, as an album for sure, and especially outside of you know the title track and and Thunder Road. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, it's it's still not my favorite album to me. It there. As as much as I hate to admit it, there there is a lot of this overwrought, very uh, dramatic sense to it that doesn't super appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm glad that he talks about you know how powerful this is as an acoustic song. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it really is. It is. It, you know, it can be very haunting when you strip away all of the of the you know the. The, the cinematic production of it. And it really is. It's very cinematic in my opinion. Um, it builds and builds and builds. And then you get to that, um, you know, it, 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 you get the, the solo and then you get the, you know, uh, well, I got this guitar and I learned how to make it talk. And he does that, dun, 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 you know? Yeah. Like and it's very, like, it's a very visual song. It is. Absolutely. And, and that, I mean, and I've, I've grown to appreciate that, but that was not, where I connected with Springsteen initially. Right. And I think what Hornby likes about that version, the cinematic version, is because he likes the optimism of it. Yes. He, that's what he's clinging to. And like he says it, like, it's the optimism I like. Um, so, and I think that's kind of what he's, why he doesn't hold it. He, he, he's writing from that point of view that I know not everyone likes the song, but here's why I like it. And this yeah. is the first time I've actually been able, like, um, it's, it's, it's why I like this kind of essays because for once he's being honest why he likes a song that maybe other people don't like. He's writing from a point of view of someone who might not appreciate, who definitely doesn't appreciate as much as he does. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take it from the pitchfork cynical point of view. I, I just, he likes the optimism and the hope of the song. Yes, and even though we already know how it ends. Well, and that's that's where I like the essay. That's what that's where I appreciate the essay. Mm-hmm. Where I, I don't appreciate it, where I don't connect with it, is when he spends. You know, it's it's a relatively short piece. It's it's you know like a six page piece, mm-hmm. um, and it's and he spends. I think he spends too much time, you know, qualifying his love for it. No, I I I don't. I just I don't see. Do we? I think that this is also a benefit of the age that I am now, though. Is that I don't want to spend time saying, "Well, I know a lot of people don't like this," or "I know it's not everybody's cup of tea." It's just like, no, I love this. Mm-hmm. I love it unabashedly. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, you know, it doesn't matter to me what other people think about it. But I think at the t- again going back to like at the time mm-hmm. that he, that this came out, people were expecting him to be like this all-knowing musical expert because right, he sure. wrote about at length. Like That's true. It is difficult to come off, come out with a book like this off the back of High Fidelity. Right. And not just like his version of High Fidelity, it's John Cusack's interpreting right. of High Fidelity. Yeah. Because, so, well, that that makes people retro retroactively put a lot of that on mm-hmm. Hornby as well. Even if it's mm-hmm. not necessarily there in the in the written work, mm-hmm. people are, are applying the film to Hornby as well. Because I I admit like having this impression of Hornby when like at that time, like, oh, like he's like 
he approached like he listens to a lot of music he can do these things sure like thinking like he's writing for himself when rob is just a work of fiction it's an amalgam of what cusack thinks he is or what in the book i hadn't read the book at the point um before i saw the movie well i i think that if you if you end up going back and reading um uh, fever pitch yeah. Then, then you get the the real like it really hits the nail on the head how different Hornby is from exactly from Rob Gordon exactly yeah. So, like I hadn't and I didn't even know if Heaver Pitch existed. Mm. Like I it wasn't a probably saw the Firth film, the Colin Firth movie, mm-hmm. um, probably right after this came out. So I think like at the time, no one knew. When, if anyone was reading this, hadn't seen Fever Pitch, hadn't read, or hadn't read Fever Pitch, hadn't read High Fidelity, they have this idea. Like, he, he probably, that's why he feels like, no, I like Thunder Road. Yeah. And here's why. And I don't give a fuck. Uh, well, you know what's, so first of all, I just want to, I just want to slide this in there that um, if you do see an adaptation of Fever Pitch, see the Firth version, not the, the Jimmy Fallon version. Definitely don't <laughs> see the Jimmy Fallon version. It's, uh, it's fine. <laughs> like, uh, anyway, let's, let's never speak of the Fallon version again. The, the, the thing that's interesting though, is that people should have been kind of prepared for this because if they are, if they are, uh, uh, you know, applying the film to to Hornby himself then there's that you know kind of awkward cameo of Springsteen in mm-hmm. in High Fidelity um, yeah you know it's it's a little Springsteen's cameo is a little cringeworthy because he's clearly not an actor so yeah and he's in the bathroom I, <laughs> um I is he I thought he was sitting on an amp maybe he's, he, he he's might have been doing I, I I assumed it was the that's rewatch that he's not in the bathroom bud he's he's like in he's like backstage sitting sitting down on a on an amp you know kind of awkwardly playing a couple of chords while he talks about the well you might feel better or or they might feel better but but you'll feel better (laughs) (laughs) but but there's like it's funny is that um that movie actually if they kept the deleted scene of him and his dad talking about the good fuck. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. With Harold Ramis. Yeah. Um, man, I forgot about that. Harold Ramis can the deleted scene. Like they would, they would know like how much this he's working through Rob to demystify like that male music lover. Yeah. Mystique. Yeah. Like that's like, but well, they did. I, I guess you know that's what's compelling about the about the um, about the new adaptation of it, because um, they did hyper focus on what is essentially what has become in modern parlance known as toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, there are moments in the book in, in the high fidelity novel, yes. that are very toxic. Oh yeah, absolutely. But and I, in the I, movie, yeah. But but I do think that there's there's more growth that gets expressed in the book than in the in the film mm-hmm. for sure and definitely and, in the show which I recommended to someone yeah. yesterday I it's it's okay I I prefer the first half of the season to the second half um, I anytime they goes beyond the book like and they explore the other characters it's one that excels 
And yeah. I wish they were given a damn second season because it will really grow. I love the Parker Posey episode. Oh, yeah. Well, she's great. She's, she's fucking great. great. She's so great. <laughs> Parker Posey's so great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, but, but you're, speaking also... to mid- J- you're speaking to mid-90s Jason whenever <laughs> you speak of Parker Posey. Yeah, well, uh, some might argue that mid-90s Jared never left. Uh, <laughs> And I'm I'm no longer with those people, but uh, <laughs> so the it, but that's also that that's also a deleted scene. Mm-hmm. That episode with Parker Posey where where they where she's just like getting rid of her ex's entire record collection. Oh, that's that's um, the Barbara D'Angelo scene. Yeah, uh, in in the film where that gets cut out, and that also shows you know that that he can't he can't go through it he's like i can't do this to this guy you know i yeah buy everything for like five bucks or whatever it was he's i i can't i can't do it yeah to somebody else i would hate it if it was done to me i can't do it um but then he starts to realize like guys like him uh are assholes yeah Exactly. That's part of that's that's the thing. That's part of the growth. And they mm-hmm. they they did they they cut all of those those parts out of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, and I say this as somebody who still loves the film. I, I have a huge high fidelity poster. In I my know. Home. I'm sitting right in front of it. Uh, so I, I do love the film, but with the caveat that yes, absolutely, it, it there's and and Hornby is commenting on how you can't be a functioning you know fully functioning fully you know full member of a partnership with somebody if you are that guy yeah uh you have to grow i mean that's his whole that was his whole shtick for three four books right it does repeat itself in in about a boy which i also love i think about a boy is a great great book one might argue it's a little more successful in in showing that Mm -hmm. Um, definitely and definitely Again, the cinematic version, much clearly better. Yeah. Much richer characters. Yes. Um, than both the book and um, the movie. And I think what he did, you can see like the growth in a Hornby, like just in, when he writes the screenplay for an education. Mm-hmm. Um, Juliet Naked, I just think is Juliet Naked is, is amazing. That's one that's of the a masterpiece. Best, that's a book that I count, and I, I like the film too, actually, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I started to rethink my my uh, opinions on Ethan Hawke, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, I, I would say Juliet Naked. When I talk about there being a handful of of amazing Nick Hornby books, that's one of them for mm-hmm. sure. I, I think, but to get back to my point. I guess this essay comes out at a time where he is seen as like the leader of a subculture yeah. of record of toxic masculinity record collectors when it's the at whole, that peak. When he's sure. at that peak, when this clearly is like I'm not that dude. Yeah. And and Thunder Road and my love of Thunder Road proves it. <laughs> well, and I think he's also arguing that Springsteen isn't that dude. Yeah. Um, and that's that's an interesting angle too because I I think that when people are turned off by his music that they that they are just too closely associating him with that and there are definitely mm-hmm. some aspects of that you know especially early on but he grows out of it he he mm-hmm. becomes the he becomes the guy in in Tunnel of Love yeah. you know and that's 
That's the that's the Springsteen I like. I right. like disillusioned Springsteen. Yeah. But um but I see why he relates to optimistic um the record company gave me a big advance Springsteen. When you do have those versions out there that strip back, you know, to just a man and a guitar and you realize you take away all of the the cinematic trappings of it, all of the oral trappings of it. Um, and I'm, I'm a U R A L. Uh, if that, that didn't come across, um, it's you, and you you pull it back to its essence. Just a guy and a guitar, basically, you know, sitting alone in his room writing about you know wanting to break out and mm-hmm. and do something amazing. Um, and you know you can. Some people can argue that that there is. There is too much to use Hornby's word bombast, uh, and you know there there some of the lyrics are overly earnest. Mm-hmm. But I gotta tell you, I, you know I've I've heard that argument leveled against a lot of songwriters that I love. Um, I was in reading recent Crowded House reviews uh, about the new album. They talk about how. Um, how Neil Finn is an unflinchingly uh, earnest lyricist. No. And they've clearly never heard into temptation. They've right. Clearly never heard four seasons in a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but there are also like, I, there, there's also a part of me that definitely where something like uh, it's only natural appeals to me or, or, or something so strong there's, you know, or even, you know, some of those things where they are there, it's just, you know, they're, they are unabashedly romantic songs. Mm -hmm. And I, there's something about that that I love. It's there's, I think there's a, a level of honesty that's just as important in that as there is in, in into temptation or in Springsteen's case in, in brilliant disguise, uh, you know, th- th- that, that you need both sides of that. You can't be just one thing or the other. Well, there seems to be this, I mean, it goes down to like, there's this myth of the tortured artist. Sure. Artists can be happy. Yeah. Like Neil Finn can be happy uh, yeah. that he's in a strong relationship. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen can be happy. He's on those two lanes. that are going to take him anywhere. Yeah. Um, and you know, but he can, like no one has to be eternally optimistic. No one has to be, you know, Oprah all the time. <laughs> like right. So and like he, but he 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 likes the hope that that Thunder Road provides, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's in 1975 or as a struggling author. Uh, uh, just like, but. This essay doesn't read as strongly now because we know how it ends for both Springsteen yeah. and, and Hornby. for Hornby. I don't know. I you know, there's there's just always going to be there is definitely you know in it wasn't that long ago as you know in my early thirties, uh, mid thirties about you know at the end of a of another long term relationship that had just kind of fell apart and you know thinking that um you know i i i am i'm scared and thinking i'm not that young anymore mm-hmm. and um and there's there is there's something very powerful about you know 
a, a stripped back, raw voiced Springsteen singing, it's a town full of losers. We're pulling out of here to win. Yeah. That, when I listened to that last night, the, the acoustic version last mm-hmm. night, the, what I assume is the version that he references in this essay. And that, that song hit me hard. And because I didn't say anything I'm constantly worrying about as someone who's like strictly in middle age, but someone whose parent died when they were 48. Mm. Um, and I'm 43. Like, and I, I suspect I'll live longer than my mother. Mm-hmm. I, there's that fear that I'm not. And like, I, <laughs> I gotta get some success soon, man. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I can relate to, I, I kind of, I re- probably related to more to Thunder Road last night, listening to that acoustic version. Yeah. Than I ever did like in that listening to Clemens, Blowing the saxophone. That big saxophone. And, and again, you know, I, I do enjoy that version. It's it's a lot of fun to listen to. It is. I, I do like the cinematic scope of it, but I when I connect with that song, I'm always listening to an acoustic version of it. Yeah. That's why I connect it with it the most. I, I enjoy the arrangements, mm-hmm. the bombast. I mean, you're trying to you're trying to get people to fall in love with you and no one wants a fucking downer man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. He's I mean, definitely that's, trying to he, like you can tell, like Born to Run, like the whole album, he's he's reaching for it. He's, he's given it, it everything, and he did the in same every thing with track. The, and he did the same thing with the river. That's why, yeah, the river is like was was it gave him like the big hit, Hungry you know? Heart. Yeah, yeah. like because he he he's clearly he's like I didn't try hard enough. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I mean, I I th- and I think though. Th- there's a reason that so many people connect with him on that earnest level mm-hmm. because, you know, those, those have been the hits, you know, mm-hmm. except for the thing is that th- th- what's wild to me uh, every time it's, and this is why I love music so much. And this is why I love deconstructing music and talking about music so much is because of what I'm about to say with, if, if you look at the content and the lyrics of the the songs on Born in the USA that became huge hits, they're, you know, Dancing in the Dark is about depression and disillusionment. It is. You That's know? why I love that song. I know. Uh, you know, it's... And the synths are great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and of course, he just gets mistaken so often too by people who just listen to the surface and just look at the package, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're um, born in the USA. Obviously, is also about somebody who has you know came home from Vietnam, who is down and out and not knowing how to reintegrate into society, mm-hmm. feeling left behind by his country, essentially. And it's not what people took it for. And it's because it's this, it's those Max Weinberg drums. Mm-hmm. It's those, it's the, you know, the synth, um, the, the riff uh, and the, and the way that it's played, which is why if you listen to, you know, the swampy slide guitar version that he plays solo, it, that song just takes on a whole different connotation. Yeah. 
Like if you listen to the bootlegs of Bar in the USA, yes. Like holy shit. Oh yeah, this just dark. This stuff when he was, you know, a lot of them he did the same four track recordings that he did for Nebraska. Mm -hmm. You know, they were all part of those same songwriting sessions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just very stark, very one eighty. And they happen to, you know, take it and turn it and make it this huge pop record, make mm-hmm. it one of the biggest selling albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me also just shows because it's, it's, it's roughly, you know, not quite 10 years later than Born to Run. Mm-hmm. And he'd been through a lot more. He's like, I can, he's essentially, he had such a mastership of his craft. He's like, I can take a song as dark as dancing in the dark mm-hmm. and I can give it the shine and the presence of a track like, like born to run. Well, that song was just, was written because they didn't hear a single. They didn't anyway. hear it. Yeah. Right. Of course. Which is yeah, such Hopefully bullshit. everybody knows that story that he, that he quickly wrote dancing in the dark because they were saying they didn't hear a hit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. But anyway, I mean, it gave us a great song, so yeah, I used to complain. It does, it's funny because like that's the song that like was the gateway, yeah, for me. And then, then you and then, but and I like like I like Springsteen, but like it's again, it's the dark stuff. It's I like I connect more with the acoustic version, which is so like like oh yeah yeah. Well, and I, mean, I connect with his darker records, his yeah. non E Street. You know, band records. Yeah, absolutely. You know, than I do with. It's you know, you know I mean, but because honestly, I have definitely felt much more like the guy who's who's taking a look in the mirror, wants to change his clothes, his hair, his face, mm-hmm. than than the person that's you know tinkering around with cars and mm-hmm. chasing after girls. Yeah, you're you're looking in the mirror, and you're not looking for the uptown girl. <laughs> You want to be, but you want to be an uptown guy. To combine two All musical right. metaphors. Well, I, I think I feel like we did it. Do you, I think we do did. You, I, you, I feel okay. good about this. I, I did. Yeah, to, to use to use uh, some some Marin. Parlance. We good. We good. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel good about it. Um, I feel like we did it. So let's let's roll right into the recommendations. Um, is there what are you eager to talk about? Well, I mean, I'm I was and I still am eager to talk about the Sparks documentary, which I watched uh, for uh, I watched uh, a few nights ago uh, on my computer, and I enjoyed thoroughly. Uh, you want to talk about underdogs? <laughs> uh, the Male Brothers have been. Uh, underdogs for about 50 albums and 50 or 25 albums in 50 years. Um, and those are two guys who just continue to get up and go again. They're hugely influential. Um, and everybody who loves them know, knows this because everyone they interview is influenced by them. Um, but no one knows who they are. And, I don't think a lot of people know who they are. And hopefully this documentary goes a long way in doing that. And because it's directed by Edgar Wright, Mm -hmm. there are little humorous touches, little details um, that bring a smile to your face. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Again, I have, I have a ticket for it tonight. I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to seeing it. And Uh, I, I know, I know pretty much nothing about sparks other than 
other than who they are and that mm-hmm. they've been influential to a, a very loyal crowd for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I will also, um, I will give away like one little detail, kind of like what to look for mm-hmm. as the, you know, the, when they do talking heads, which they do a lot, they'll do like, not David Byrne, but you're talking about like, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but, uh, like they have like the names of who they're talking to and who yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. So they interview, um, John Taylor, I believe it's John Taylor and Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran, from Duran Duran yeah. about how influenced they are. And under each one, there's one Duran. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And it's just like those little Edgar Wright touches, like those things, those little details that makes his movies like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim. Like, yeah. All like a lot of fun if you're looking for it. So go into like what that, that, mine and i i think you'll it's it's definitely an edgar wright movie through and through it's just it's a documentary and um it's two and a half hours it does not drag okay um but there are um and i'm i would say i'm a mid-level fan of sparks as in like i my knowledge of them is enough to make me dangerous (laughs) um but not you know, I'm definitely not an Edgar Wright level fan. I couldn't make a documentary today gotcha. uh, about them. Could you make it tomorrow? Maybe. <laughs> I, I got to clear my schedule. <laughs> but it definitely doesn't demystify them any more than they already are to people. But it's definitely a great introduction for people like you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a tribute for hardcore fans, the Pan Oswalds and the Edgar Wrights of the world. It's sure. like a... And I read something, I can't take credit for this, but I read something like, it's like a gift to the band. Oh, okay. Like, and if you take it out like that. Like a real homage, like a love letter to them. Yeah. Like, it's like a living tribute to this band that has um, offered a lot. Been um, around for such a long time. Been, yeah. And has offered people, uh, are funny and clever and have offered a lot of joy and insight. Well, I don't even, I don't even know them very well, but... It, you can make the argument that there's there's no they might be giants you know there's no yeah uh, there's there's a lot of those those bands that that took that uh, that you know that clever pop kind of approach I would I would argue and in no disrespect to the Johns um, who's um, who, uh, guys I love them both um, especially Flansburg because I've talked to them but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would argue that um, Sparks definitely goes a lot long way in influencing and continuing to influence people. Mm-hmm. And this is going. And the thing is, this is going to be the summer of Sparks for several reasons. Not only because of this movie, but they have that movie um, Driver movie coming out later this year called Annette, which is a musical by a French director, Cleo. I want to say carrots, I believe hmm. he's done. He's done some French movies I've heard of, Okay, <laughs> but the score is written. The score and the songs are written by, by Sparks, Sparks brothers. Huh. And, um, and it serves am driver and, um, but like, and then they're coming out with another album this year. They're coming out with <laughs> album number 26. Wow. So like, they're definitely working, you know, if you were ever thinking about getting on the Sparks train, this is 
the perfect opportunity to do it because then you're you'll be equipped to handle <laughs> to do a to do a net and then enjoy the album and um cool and if there's <laughs> the big thing i learned um about i'll tell you how much it doesn't demystify the band the the big thing revelation i learned um from watching this is that steve winwood has a brother named muff wow i had no idea steve winwood had a brother yeah and his name's muff and his name's muff wow yeah, muff that winwood. is a big revelation yeah because he produced that's um, his given name yeah yeah because <laughs> he's the one who produced um he's not like Mutt Lang? okay uh which is like their breakthrough album okay um so, um, yeah, I, <laughs> that was wow. my big revelation. Wow, not, not anything like else like <laughs> about the band or anything. The, the big revelation was Steve Owen has a brother. He's a producer. His name is Muff. <laughs> now, do you happen to know if he's older or younger than Steve? I think he's older. Because you know that his parents were like, what were we on when we named him Muff? Let's name our next kid something more normal. I think <laughs> How he's about older. Steve? I don't know, but I was just was like, who names their kid that? And yeah. mind you, like you're English. I realize they like like weird things. But, but still, yeah. Muff is Muff? Uh no, but I mean it it, it turned out okay. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't it's not like he named he was named Sue or anything. <laughs> or, um but my other big recommendation, and I'll keep this one short, um, it's that time of year again, Jared. You know what time of year it is? Clearly not. It's it's summer, but you know what else it is? It's holy moly season. I was going to ask. I saw that there was a new season of that coming out. I wonder. It's if, holy moly how, season. How excited it. you were? Holy moly season started on Thursday, and I gotta tell you, the boy like it's it's him. It's it's firing in all cylinders. The boys are back. The boys are back. <laughs> this is the mini golf thing. This right? is the extreme mini golf thing produced by Steph Curry, and I gotta okay. tell you, they upped it. They up they upped the game. Like there's. Uh, I still haven't watched enough. New courses, of it. like houses on fire. Wow. Um, there's people dying on a giant woodpecker. <laughs> like it's it's nuts. But again, like it's you're not watching it. I mean, I'm watching it for to see people fall on their ass. Sure. I'm watching it to see a giant inflated thing, a cob of corn pop and have people fall into giant cobs of corn <laughs> um they call it like the popcorn thing i'm or i'm i enjoy that you know um definitely at base level but it's the interplay between rob riggle and his co-host and the way that riggle just riffs like a pro um that's why i watched the show that's what makes me laugh the most um, it's smarter than it's definitely it's, that's what kind of makes it a little smarter than the average extreme sports show mm-hmm. um, but I mean it, it's holy moly season I can't recommend that enough Thursdays on ABC Fridays on Hulu which is when I watch it sure come join the party guys <laughs> at, don't at me just come on in just, just dive in Maybe this is the year that I give it a shot. <laughs> you get and two episodes premiered last night, probably because of the Olympics. Oh, so, okay. Because uh, the Olympics are this year, but it may be a quicker season this year because of that. But still, I I can't recommend it enough. I know after we got all heady about 
Springsteen, this wasn't like the level we wanted it to go, but it's something I unbashedly enjoy. I'm not. No, hey, no reason to apologize yeah, for it. I'm not going to. I don't have to defend it like Hornby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You good? I'm good. That's you good? It. That's what okay. I got. Uh, I, I'm going to do a couple of quick recommendations and then a, a little bit of a longer one. Um, go out and get the new, um, the new Lou Barlow solo record and the new Gary Lewis solo record. Um, Gary Lur- you know, for if you don't know who these guys are, Lou Barlow is probably best known for being a founding member of sub- of uh, of Dinosaur Junior and um, and his band Sebado. Uh, and also Folk Implosion, if you followed that, them at all. Um, and I, I honestly, I've come to appreciate Lou's solo work um, more than any of that, really. I mean, and I, 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 I dig all of those bands, don't get me wrong. But um, his, his new one, uh, which I should probably know the name of, um, which is very unfortunate that I'm talking about it right now. And I, and, and, and well, while you're, um, while you're looking at that, uh, Gary Lewis is, uh, Jayhawks, right? Yes. Gary Lewis is the, is, was the, um, initially with, with, um, Oh God damn it. What's his name? Uh, with Mark, uh, uh, shit. What, uh, why can't I suddenly think of his name either? The other guy from, from from Jayhawks, Mark. Um, oh, you're acting like I give a shit about Jayhawks, dude. What? This is news to me. How? I, I, oh, it's it's really nothing to do with the quality of their music. I just sat um, when I was uh, an office drone in Illinois. Um, I sat next to someone who would not shut up about the Jayhawks, and it completely turned me off to the band. Really? Yeah. Because the thing is, like those the back to back punch of of um, of I've, uh, and I've heard and I liked it, but I okay, can't, I can't not I can't not uh, listen to think, talk about the Jayhawks and not think of my time as listening to this gal who sat behind me just droned on and on about all these fucking nineties bands. Um, like the Big Woo, who no one gives a shit about anymore. I don't know the Big Woo. Oh, the Big Woo is like. Fish, but with no talent. <laughs> I, I'm not a huge fish fan either. So, I, fish is talented though, right? You, uh, okay. you can't. Yeah, de- sure. Yeah, sure. You, but sure. Can you deny that? Just, uh, no. Just, no. Okay. No, I can't. Yeah. Um, the big woo is not with any enthusiasm. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, <laughs> the big woo is. I mean, they have their they have their place, and it's and it's and it's the bargain bin. <laughs> um, okay, so the Lou Barlow record is is reason to live. Um, it's there. It's definitely very relaxed. It's it's Lou at his most uh, kind of. Again, I guess it kind of goes along with today's discussion. It's it's very earnest and emotive. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's he's not screaming anything. So if yeah. you're if you're looking for for uh, for that, you're not going to find it. But it's just. I don't know. It's it's just good. It's solid. It's it's a bunch of little gems. Some of them are just like super rapid fire, quick songs too. Um, it's like seventeen tracks or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. It reminded me an execution of there's a an old. Um, That's like '90s CD length album. Yeah, 
but they're also they're so short. You get like seven songs on side A, and you get ten songs on side oh, okay. side B. Uh, but uh, it reminded me an execution of an old Graham Parker record. Um, I think I want to say it's Human Soul, where like the second half of it uh, are just these like quick sketches of things, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, and some of them, some of them are, are, are well, especially in the case of, of Graham Parker, uh, some of them are, are, are definitely uh, not as good as others. But the the big moments, the the meaty songs on the album, make it worth it. And I think that applies to this Lou Barlow record, kind of like a Guy by Voices record. Would you yes. say? Yes. Yeah, I would say that. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I agree with that. Uh, and then the Gary Lewis one is. Um, uh, it's called Jump for Joy, and it is it's only his second solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a solid singer songwriter album. Uh, you know, he always to me sounds very Laurel Canyon heavy. Yeah. Um, and so if you like that kind of of singer songwriter album, then then it's very good for that. A little less alt country, more. Yeah, more more. Uh, Less alt country, more of kind of like a Tim Harden kind of thing, or okay. like a, uh, I don't know, you know, those other kind of sunshiny sort of. And the mm-hmm. thing is that it's if, you know, the lyrics are always are he he does that juxtaposition of the of the uh, you know shiny pop song with the uh, or kind of like a shimmering kind of pop song with the uh, with the more uh, kind of dour lyrics a little bit, I guess. And then the the other one that I was just surprised by, um, you know, I, I I've been watching Mythic Quest. I thought that was really good. It was it was something recommended by by our friend Chris. I've, I've been watching that and enjoying it quite a bit. Um, but then I saw I watched a trailer at the beginning of of Mythic Quest for the show Physical. Oh, I watched that last night. And so now I I've watched uh, several episodes of it, and I think it's fucking great. I've only watched the first episode. I didn't. Um, it was late, and I didn't have enough energy to make it to go through two or three. I, I. It's I, just. It's not what I expected it to be. Based on mm-hmm. like, so just to give a little backstory on it, it's it takes place in the middle of, uh, you know, or actually really at the at the beginning, I guess, of of Reagan's America, right? Uh, and it's to me. Here's here's my my quick elevator pitch of it. To me, it's it's like weeds done by Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. So the voice, her voice, the yeah, voice inside the, her head. Yeah. It, it, her it, voiceover. Yeah. It, it cuts too deep sometimes. Um, really? For me. For me. For me, that's what I love about it. Yeah. It's it's Rose Byrne, um, who <laughs> I love. Just in, in just about everything she does. No, it's it, it cuts you deep because who hasn't had that voice inside their head? Oh, but yeah. It makes well, and see, that's why I love it. It, yeah, it cuts, but deep it makes her seem I've unhinged, those... and it makes me like go on. Also, makes her seem unhinged. I'm like, I'm not unhinged though. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> interesting. Um, and the thing is, it's being marketed as like this glow like yeah it is it's being marked well it's being marketed as though mm-hmm. i'm i'm expecting like olivia newton john kind of like mm-hmm. physical you know it's yeah. um 
that that kind of uh, manic aerobics kind of thing and mm-hmm. and it's it's not it's definitely more in a vein of like a breaking bad or a, mm-hmm. or a, or a weeds it is period though yeah um and i'm enjoying that a lot i yeah i i it's, i highly recommend it i think that mm-hmm. it's it's a hard watch sometimes i get what you're talking about with that cutting voice but mm-hmm. um it's I, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I, and I don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed the first episode. I, I after it was done, I was like, I told Kristen, like, it's not enough to fill the glow sized hole in my heart. Sure. But I see that has potential. Well, uh, and, my, yeah. my big, uh, my big takeaway was this is 1981 and they're playing songs from 1982. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, um, uh, they ended with the first episode was space age love song. I'm like, that's yeah. me too. <laughs> yeah, somebody's not paying attention to their 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 chronology. Like, I hate to, I hate to, you know, pull be that know, guy. Yeah, that guy. But yeah, <laughs> but you were that guy. I was that guy. Um, I I think I think it's great. And it, what's interesting is that I I I am often that guy. I'm like, well, that that song wasn't out yet. But uh, it's uh, um, I I don't know. I I I really in, enjoy it quite a bit. So I, I, I do. I think if you liked Glow, I think if you liked Weeds, um, I think to a lesser extent Breaking Bad, because it's not that, mm-hmm. it's, at least so far anyway, it hasn't been that kind of hardcore. Well, the, um, reason what makes, the reason what made Breaking Bad so interesting to me, mm-hmm. and I haven't gotten to that point yet, and I maybe in the episodes, is that what made Walter such a relatable character, at least in the beginning, mm-hmm. is he was doing it for family because he knew he was going to die. Yeah, she's definitely not doing it for family. <laughs> she, so, I, I'm not going to spoil what her motivations are, but oh, um, well, I mean, and even in weeds, she was doing it for family initially. You yeah, know, she she had just been widowed and uh, and was trying to figure out how she could mm-hmm. make money. You know, well, for I her family. Yeah, so. I'm probably will watch a few more episodes. I, I'm definitely gonna watch the next two episodes for sure and see what happens. I yeah, well. I don't know if you love it as much as I do, but I, I, it's one of the best shows I've watched in a in a long yeah. time. Have you been watching 1971 yet? I have. I haven't watched that yet. No. I watched the second episode a few weeks ago, and I really oh, enjoyed it. We haven't even talked about Loki. Oh yeah, I, let's I that, let's let's end the show. I got We've gone what, on long enough. Though. I do need to ask you something. Okay. Um, in the beginning of the second episode, mm-hmm. the wench. Is that who you think it is, or did you think who it was? Because there's a lot of what the fork in it. Uh, well, you know that Pillboy's in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I thought the wench in the beginning of the second episode mm-hmm. was Darcy Carden. Oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't... It'll be... Huh. Like I the, noticed that one of the people... So the person who was kind of like the hostage in the second episode is... Uh, the person who was essentially, I guess, kind of one of the lead characters of that um, Utopia. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The American version of Utopia, yeah. anyway. But I was just wondering if you had picked up that it's starting to... It, it, I don't think it's Darcy Carden. I even looked it up just to see, make sure. Yeah, I don't know. Unless it was like an uncredited thing. Yeah. Um, um, but it was kind of interesting. Like, it's... Um, the one thing I'm kind of enjoying about is the inner workings of the time variance authority. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, 
Yes. Let's we'll we'll, we'll continue talking about it off mic. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's good. Again, please rate and subscribe if you could. Tell your friends whatnot. Uh, if you feel like uh, throwing us a few bones, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash hoot and waddle. And uh, that's that's gonna be it. Keep it keep it mental, platter peeps. And next week we'll talk um, a song not that I have week, not. Well, in two weeks, you're right. Okay, you made that mistake at the beginning. I'm making it at the end. Okay. Uh, I'm like a bird. Is our next <laughs> a song I enjoy? Uh, I have. Pop song. I've not heard that song since the video was in rotation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's been a long you, time. I've probably it's probably been about twenty years to pick up not some not enough. Nelly Furtado. Yeah, no. 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 Alright. Later, later, Platypeeps. Keep it mental. Mental Platypus is a production of Hoot and Waddle, producing fun arts and culture podcasts and publishing works of experimental literature since 2016. To learn more about Hoot and Waddle, please visit hootandwaddle.com. To learn how you can help support and sustain Hoot and Waddle, please visit patreon.com forward slash hootandwaddle.